Oh God. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> Peter just made a fellatio miming motion. Yeah. I think the people understand what I made. <laughs> a mess in my pants. <laughs> Gross. This is how we podcast. I worked my absolute balls off to leave work kind of early to get over here to talk about some Nicolas Cage movies. Hey, we can we can get into it. This is this is the so podcast. So far, I've taken my pants off and it's fine. Right, pants are off. Um, pants are off and welcome to Cage Match, a roundabout way of meeting Nicolas Cage. I am your host, Sean, with my co-host, Nick, and our producer, Peter. Hello. And our very first ever special guest. Hi, I'm Adam. So how's it going, Adam? This is my first time being on a podcast, so... Well, so, this is our first time making a podcast, so welcome. You know, yeah. some some nerves and some other nerves around the fact that it's centered around movies that I love and an actor that I love. Yeah, so so talk about that a little bit. Like, wh- <laughs> why of all the Nicolas Cage movies are these two relatively high on your list? I would start by saying that National Treasure 2 is maybe not high on my list, but like Nicolas Cage as Ben Gates is high on my list. I I just feel like these two roles are great for him. His putting on air quotes style of acting lends itself really well to these two characters in different ways. Both of these movies are sparkly entertainment with not a ton of substance, which again, I think just lends itself really well to Nicolas Cage. Did you not pick up on the underlying themes of, corporate america greed okay i mean that is a great segue into our first film uh, and connecting to last weekend conspiracy theories mm-hmm. uh let's talk about national treasure too oh we said both movies but i don't think we said what they both were this week national treasure book of secrets and <laughs> the sorcerer's apprentice we have a bonus brockheimer bonanza this week and a double turtle tub cool <laughs> what uh, same, same director. So, yes, National Treasure 2, Book of Secrets, uh, starring Nick Cage as Ben Gates, Diane Kruger, daughter of Freddy Kruger, as Abigail Chase. Cut that joke. That didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote that down for nothing. Uh, Justin Bartha as Riley Poole, John Voight as Patrick Gates, Helen Mirren, Emily Appleton, and Ed Harris as Mitch Wilkinson. Adam, you want to tell us what this movie was about? First, I want to say that I think it's amazing that they got Helen Mirren and Ed Harris and John Voight. John Voight was in the first one. Leading out of the original National Treasure, uh, Ben Gates is just now doing tours about what it's like to have rewritten American history, so to speak, by finding a giant treasure based on American history. Ed Harris shows up and implies that a relative like Ben Gates great 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 grandfather great 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 um was part of the conspiracy to kill abraham lincoln assassinate him when the gates family had always believed that he participated in attempting to prevent that i do want to briefly talk about mitch wilkinson ed harris's character so in terms of a villain let's just get evil ben gates benjamin franklin gates is that his fucking name? That's his full name, yeah. Benjamin Franklin Gates. Oh, oh yeah. Um, so you didn't know that? His art, oh, so, come on. So Mitch, I haven't seen the movies. <laughs> Ed Harris shows up and being like, well, I have the like remaining piece that proves your grandfather was a traitor to the country. But Mitch Wilkinson, the anti-Ben Gates, who is the great-great-grandson, somewhere in his line, he is the descended spawn. from... Yes. The spawn of he is the spawn he is the spawn of a Confederate of the Confederate General Albert Pike. So you have these like warring Confederate and um not Union. And Union. When <laughs> and it goes to this whole thing where when they find out about the city of gold and Patrick Gates is freaking out, it's like, what if the Confederates found the city of gold? Like, can you imagine like what would happen if they found it as if it's a concern now? That's, I think, my... Like, they like, never had to go down this road. beef with this movie is, like, this whole thing is, well, what if my great-great-grandfather was a Confederate sympathizer? Oh, boy, that's going to ruin everything for me. 
my life is fucked. It's like, but really, is it? So like, he, I do like. So the little... he kidnapped the president. Yes, that that yeah. affected him so much that he was like, in a scene, was like, I'm gonna kidnap the president. I mean, I do like. I'm accused of being a Confederate sympathizer. What do I do? Kidnap the Union <laughs> president. That'll set everybody straight. And why does he have to kidnap the president of the United States? Because uh, he's he's got to find the president's book. The. Secret. Book of Secrets. The, there we go. Yeah, we got there. Secrets, yeah. Um, I mean, just the logic in how all of this happened was absurd, and I really loved it. I will say, we haven't covered the first National Treasure yet, but after Dog Eat Dog, I needed a palate cleanser, so I watched it for funsies. Can say, without a doubt, the plot and treasure hunt and mystery of this movie is a lot simpler than that first one. Yes. <laughs> This movie kind of makes sense. So unless the point you want is to how he proves the innocence of his great great grandfather, because they never do that. Yeah, no, it, it actually doesn't explicitly say right. how he is not guilty. It's just like, OK, you found gold. Congratulations. Like, like, oh, I found this thing. It's like I scored a touchdown. O.J. Simpson was not, <laughs> not guilty. It's like, I mean, loosely connected. Wow, eight episodes <laughs> into our first O.J. reference. I'm surprised. Kind of yeah. impressive, actually. Are these, well, I'm sorry, the, both National Treasures are Disney, though, right? Yes. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Both Disney, both the same producer, both the same director. I do know that the only reason number two, like number, there was never any slate for number two. Like they were just making the first one like box office made like $458 million or something. And they were like, yeah, let's just put together a script. Jeez, people will watch this. And they, and put, we did. And, and we're talking about it now. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly right. This is free publicity for them. And Hey, they got a Disney plus show coming out that has none of the original cast. Oh, that's gonna, I can't wait. But page 47. I know. I want to know what that is. Um, the, Nick probably knows. I can't tell you though. <laughs> The producers of the TV show have said if they get a second season, they plan to bring in characters from the movie. They have like explanations as to where they've all been. Um, Nick Cage doesn't do TV. Has Nick Cage ever done television? This seems like something no, we know on a Nick Cage he, podcast. He doesn't. Um, and very specifically, when he was asked about National Treasure, the show, he was like, well, they decided to make a show. So I guess that's it for me. <laughs> I mean, good on him. He doesn't need to do tv he doesn't no. feel like a guy who goes to work every day not for less than five million dollars <laughs> and that'll only get you like 10 days tops uh anyway so he has to my... kidnap the president yes and i think that's where we left off yeah. I don't know. so he's planning to kidnap the president well, we've missed a lot of points here well, well this, this is, the, this that's is what the we do. quick summary quick summary, quick okay. summary. Yeah. we had one episode where we talked too much about the movies and it was dumb yeah, and I, yelled at us. I, I did. This movie or this Dad podcast isn't about actually talking about the movies. It's just how dumb we are. Yeah. yeah. So he he uh he swims across a river to Mount Vernon with a an original map of Mount Vernon and finds the president and was like, ah, oh, Mister President, I know you're a fan of history. Look at this thing that I have. And he was like, that looks like an original map of Mount Vernon drawn drawn by George Washington. He's like, you know, that's very funny, sir. It is. Let us go look at these underground tunnels. Kidnaps the president. Briefly. Briefly. It's not really a, a hijacking of human. Um, and the, the president. It's more the, like sequestered patriotism. The, the, <laughs> the president did walk into it, by the way. During the kidnapping, the president admits that there is the book of secrets. And they go to um, the Library of Congress, where he has all the information on where to find this book. Obviously, the entirety of North American law enforcement showed up and they get away because, of course, in a car chase scene. Let's see. After that, they go to Mount Rushmore. <laughs> they go to Mount Rushmore. Mount Nickmore. So it turns out that Mount Rushmore was um, a cover up for the city of gold. Yeah. Yeah. They, they erased all the landmarks so that way you wouldn't be able to see it. <laughs> we By are... making it a place that everyone goes to. Ed Harris shows up, tries tries to hold people at gunpoint at Mount Rushmore. Nick Cage talks him down. They all go into the depths of Mount Rushmore together. At which point he holds them at knife point. Right. <laughs> so many points. They find the city of gold, and that 
proves his ancestors' innocence, and the president asks him for another uh, treasure hunt. That will change everything. That will that will change. That will change everything. I think it's going to disprove the Kardashians. I think that's what page forty-seven is <laughs> all about. It's like they're not even real. So, they're the real lizard people. Um, this movie starts off with some amazing worked in exposition. Like it, it cuts to five days after the Civil War ends, and Ben Gates's great great grandfather is hanging out, partying with his son at a bar because he's a good dad, and I am. Thoroughly bummed that they didn't go the cheap way out and just give Nicolas Cage mutton chops and play his own great-great-grandfather. I don't know. I'm upset that they covered up the real way President Lincoln was killed. Which is? Uh, He was hammered in the ass until he died. Yeah, it was a literal hammer, and they hammered him in the butt. Speaking of historical fallacies in that scene... um... Fallacies. I know what I'm saying. When they're shooting that scene when... John Wilkes Booth is going to shoot Lincoln in the head, which I'm shocked that they actually kind of showed that for this, you know, PG-13 romp. There's a electrical light bulb uh, that you can see. Well, I was going to say nobody was trying to learn anything from this movie. I could be wrong about that. Nobody should have been trying to learn anything. This Correct. This is, I want to turn off for two hours because I'm tired and work won't leave me alone. If your mind's on something and you can't go to sleep, this is a really, really good way to distract you from the thing that you should be thinking about. I want to ask, does anyone find it in poor taste at this point that John Voight co-stars in a film about American conspiracies? Hmm. That didn't age well. Also, it's some of his worst acting in these two movies. I mean, it's everyone's worst acting in these two movies. It might be Justin Bartha's best acting, though. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> so Riley Poole, the helpful, quirky sidekick and co-star of the first film, got majorly bumped down in terms of usefulness in this film. Well, yeah, there were no electronic locks or anything like, I mean, outside of breaking into the Buckingham Palace. Well, I was going to. Oh, well, yeah, there's that. I was going to say breaking into Cage's ex-wife's oh. house. <laughs> it's also Cage's house. Well, yeah, but. They're separate, and he said he's moved out. He's living with his dad. But I do love that it starts off with Riley on a book tour selling a book about the adventures of the first movie. And my favorite line of this film is this blonde chick walks up to the signing at a Borders Books. That'll date this movie. um, Walks up, picks up a copy of a book called The Templar's Treasure and says, The Templar's Treasure turns the book to the camera and then goes... Is this a book about the Templar's treasure? There's two romantic plots, sort of, in this, like, between different characters. And he didn't get one. And that was sort of... No, the Ferrari. The, okay. Yeah. The yeah. Also, also learning to love himself. <laughs> yeah. He sure. Was, he was the real... Do that off camera, though. <laughs> he, he was the real Sean of this movie. He certainly was demoted as a character. Yes. And all he had was a his Ferrari that got impounded. His Ferrari and his book that nobody would read. I like that he had to carry the cardboard cutout of himself down the street <laughs> afterwards. I probably would have abandoned that thing. I mean, he's got other borders to go to, though. Yeah, I'm sure. I like how none of the people, none of his his best friends, none of them have read his book. Oh, yeah. Even later in the film, when they need to use his book for plot purposes, they have to, like, open the envelope that it's in because nobody cared as a, the, yeah they used it as a reference tool I'm not that was like lie. that was like the only reason his character existed in this entire movie yeah it fucking bugged the shit out of me how many times there was something that had to be like talked about or explained or you know narratively given to the audience and they're like oh here's a book and so nicholas cage is reading a book but he's flipping the pages pretty quickly so he's not <laughs> reading the book it's like you know this story just fucking tell us yeah riley with his thing it's like i've got to show you i can't tell you i have to show you and then nicholas gage opens the book but riley just tells us anyways it's like you're fucking telling us right now you yeah. didn't need your book you didn't you're just it? being a prick about it it's yeah. like your book Ch- sucks nobody wants to read about something Ch- they did chapter 13 I believe is what he said. I mean, he was trying to sell more books, even if it was just to his friends. Who already had copies that that they didn't want. Yes. This is why I will never write a book. 
because none of you people will read it and I'll be upset. <laughs> we already know. we already have Chuck Tingle, man. <laughs> there is the sequel trope of taking the romantic leads from the first film and breaking them up. They definitely started out the movie kind of being like, oh, we don't like each other. Like she changed the code to get into the house. But I mean, it was short. She, the next thing they have together, she's trying to help them. Yeah. Well, like when they actually do team up in, so they eventually get to Buckingham Palace. Mm -hmm. And when they team up there and he's about to do his Mission Impossible style break into the Queen's office and she shows up and he has to like make a big fuck all scene. (laughs) Probably the best scene in the movie because it's the most Nick Cage scene where he's just like high kicking his way down the stairs. Yeah, I did like a little march. But um, they do introduce a second red herring love interest to kind of make Nick Cage mad played by Ty Burrell, Hollywood's best cuck because Ty Burrell always shows up in these roles where he's the boyfriend of the main characters like ex-wife. I'm specifically thinking of Edward Norton's Hulk. He was Doc Samson. His name was Doc Samson? No, Doctor. Doc Samson is an incredible Hulk character. Well, he um, plays it so well. He, I mean, he's such a nice guy. He honestly, is. honestly, From though, Beaverton. honestly, Beaverton though, he 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 did his performance was some of the best acting in this movie. <laughs> he was just Ty Burrell. I can mean, you, can you call that acting? Can you call anything else in that? I have. We've watched. I won't. I won't speak ill against Helen Mirren. Helen Mirren does show up. She is the ex-wife of um, Patrick Gates and Papa Gates. Yep. I'm like, hey, it's Helen Mirren, and then there was no accent. And that threw me off. And I'm like, maybe that isn't Helen Mirren. Also, like, they could have just, why did she need an American accent? They could have just had her be Helen Mirren and it would have been fine. Yeah, the the historian in America could yeah. have been from fucking anywhere. Like, there's no reason that she needed to have it's, an American accent. I mean, just It's sh- not called international treasure, idiots. It would be <laughs> kind of weird, Get I think, fucked. if <laughs> their specialist in, like extinct native american languages was not american it's like i don't specialize in extinct african electrical installations helen mirren's cleavage really is a national treasure (laughs) you know i'm not gonna cut that i know and i don't care i want her to know i will i will marry this woman Um, sean's geriatric card on A roundabout way of meeting Helen Mirren. That is, yeah, that is really what this is. <laughs> so they, Ben Gates had figured out that there might be a clue on one of the three statues of Liberty. Because there's three. Because there's three. Well, we did actually learn something. I didn't yeah, know yeah. that. There I was didn't three. know that either. Yeah. I actually they said These three, and I was like, okay, These New York, are... Las Vegas. What, <laughs> what else have we got? But... So they they go they they go to Paris and they're. Uh, Riley Poole is rocking a drone and then they get pulled over by the cops and the cops translate the clue that, of the photo they taken off of this Statue of Liberty. <laughs> then Ben Ben Gates does the because the, the clue was uh, these twins stand resolute and he's like twins resolute resolute twins. There's a, a ship the resolute in the 1800s. Oh, you're going to like this. And then just like goes on this stupid, like Jeff Goldblum style. I fucking and hated this <laughs> yeah, part of the It was so bad. And they're like, we have to go to Buckingham Palace and get into the Queen's study. The Resolute Desks. To, because of the Res... So they break into the Queen's study and, and the Oval Office eventually. But going back to what you were talking about, Sean, where they're, they're, they're in Buckingham Palace and, and Abigail Chase. So she just randomly shows up. What's weird about that is before he knows that she's there, he's just like splashing whiskey all over himself because he's already prepared to make a scene. Yeah. Then just kind of rolls with that. I guess he still could have ended up in the drunk tank. I mean, that right. was he's over the balcony. Like, I think that we've I think that we've really missed talking about uh, the Resolute Desks and how they broke into Buckingham Palace and the Oval Office and figured out the puzzle of the desks. And then, like, it distracted. Was the same puzzle. Once it was, it out, yeah, well, but they distracted the enough. Like, they distracted enough people in the White yeah. House to break into the the president's desk. Well, I mean, Ty Burrell got you know a makeout scene. He yeah. did, and okay. he, and again, that scene was some of the best acting in this movie. 
just on his part. Again, did you not hear Helen Mirren's not British accent? <laughs> I'm giving Helen Mirren a pass on this. She obviously was going to be the best actress in this movie. Uh, I do want to talk about the Mount Rushmore dungeon, though, because, dear God, do I want to run that in D&D. Oh, yeah. I mean, the puzzles and the like traps and things like that they well, like, were clever and fun. I liked the pendulum. The table. pendulum, like it's there. They have to stand on four corners of this thing that's on like a point. Otherwise, they'll all die. And they're like, I want to run that. Um, I guess it's more of a fulcrum table. Yeah. Pendulum uh, table. Any any of my D&D players stop listening to this podcast right now. No, but I agree. Like the Indiana Jones kind of fun of that zone was interesting. Yeah, like, I, I liked even though it's like a dumb, you know, oh, my arm goof. Like he did shove his hand in the, the stone hole. Oh, it was so bad. The, the whole fisting or what? <laughs> Just like so. OK, so they're being they're being held at gunpoint by Ed Harris at Mount Rushmore. And then Nick Cage is like, no guns. We can go together and we can discover this together, but no guns. And Ed Harris is like, OK, buddy. And they go up. Somehow they get on top of Mount Rushmore, which I'm pretty sure you don't just do. And they have some some clue about uh, it's the, about a cloudless the, rain. A cloudless really rain. God, this scene. And, and Nick Cage is like pulling out bottles of water and he's like, Pouring it on the top of Mount Rushmore. Water like, changes the color of the rocks. Water changes. Use the water. <laughs> and everybody's pouring water out until an eagle forms and Abigail Chase is like, I found it. I really enjoy it. And it's just a random hole. Just uh, Patrick Gates <laughs> trying to tell Helen Mirren, use the water. And she's just holding a water bottle. And she's like, what do you think I'm doing? It's like, I've got water. So I do want to talk about as we get deeper into Mount Rushmore and get like right before, right when we find, discover the city of gold at Harris's Wilkinson is he apologizes like, sorry, I ruined your great, great grandfather's name. I just wanted to make up for my family's history and like have my name go down in the history books all about, you know, saving my family's name. Like, why didn't you just ask, buddy? Also, what, what is your end goal? Your end goal is you discover the city of gold your city, your family's name goes down in history as having discovered the city of gold and murdered a family and their bumbling sidekick. Also, well, you don't tell anybody that you brought a family. You can tell them you I brought mean, he's a gonna, sidekick, but you don't tell them that you brought a family underneath. But he's there. gonna bring them to the city of gold eventually, and then there's Gates, the Gates family, and and Pool. It was also it was also never also they'd been shooting at them the entire film. <laughs> was it <laughs> was it ever made clear, by the way, or was it simply just suggested in that scene that like your great great granddaddy definitely didn't do the thing I've accused him of, but it was the only way for me to get you to find this treasure for me? Or was it like he did, but I also had to bring that up so you'd find this treasure for me again? Why didn't you just ask? Well, also, the Gates would have totally looked for this. Also, why did Ed Harris use a Southern accent in some scenes, but not in all of them? Because they couldn't afford it throughout the movie. <laughs> they made it pretty clear, I think, in the beginning that the Gates relative wasn't actually involved in conspiring against. Well, I think Morris. they made it clear because you're supposed to root for Ben Gates and family. But like they can't they can't just say like, uh, I mean, as a plot point or like the writers can't just be like, Oh, that's not true. Like Ben Gates has got to prove it by finding a bunch of gold in Mount Rushmore. Sure. Okay. So the burden still, of proof is still like, on future person, even though the audience is very clearly aware yeah. that it was never, but did we ever get that full confession from, from Wilkinson? Wilkinson? Well, and even if we did, he died. I don't think Wilkinson ever even knew like, what does that sheet of paper say? It had names. Yes, all the other names were involved in the plot, but it's like it doesn't say these people like explicitly. I saw a thing when I was looking up information for this movie. The next word on that page, like before it was burned, is master like puzzle solver. But that still doesn't prove in the present that his Great great grandfather just proves that he's a dork. Yeah, <laughs> no, yeah. with amazing puzzle. mutton chops. He loves Sudoku. <laughs> puzzle solving is genetic in the cinematic world. <laughs> I mean, might as well fucking. Except, it. except it skips a generation because John Voight is terrible at it. It's never established, but what do we think the the like real life timeline of this plot is? A week or two? 
Well, you'd think that, but when we... I have, would think that. When they go to the White House uh, Easter egg role to break into the Oval Office, there's a shitty kid who's just like, Ben Gates, your grandfather or your great-great-grandfather assassinated Lincoln. It's like, no, it was John Wilkes Booth. It's like, well, your grand... And, and there's this whole thing. And then like, they get into a legit debate. Yeah, but he's like, in Wilkinson's book, I'm like, this has been a week and Wilkinson's published a book? How do you... <laughs> How do you account for the fact that every bridge leading out of D.C. was closed, but the one that he needed? All right, child, go away. We're done. <laughs> I want to go back to, again, the timeline of this. Oh, yeah. Because yeah. it feels like it just happened over a couple of weeks or three weeks or whatever. And Patrick Gates and and Helen Mirren, who is Ben Gates' mom, and I don't recall. I don't even know if they ever said her. Yeah, it's Emily, Emily Appleton, Appleton, but doesn't it, matter. No, yeah. So she and... and John Voight just hate each other. They haven't spoken in 30 years. And by the end of a couple hours together, they're just like making out on Mount Rushmore. To be fair, they almost just died. Right. And also... I've made out for less. Also, that fulcrum scene, they weren't part of. They weren't on the big fulcrum table and they didn't have to go diving for the ladder. They did a geriatric Indiana Jones. I understand that, but nobody had to go onto the fulcrum. Who designed this booby-trapped city of gold oh, yeah, that you could the, just, like, bypass the fulcrum? You could just go the other way. They, yeah. <laughs> they did have to swing across well, a gully. Yes. And they didn't know they didn't know the fulcrum was there. It's not like they jumped on it. The floor fell out from under them. That's fine, but why are there... How many, how many more routes are there to get to this city of I gold? I mean... Yeah, I mean, like, you really do have to just kind of shrug and say, yeah, whatever, I don't care. I mean, that's kind of how I watched most nick cage movies i mean i get invested at the so at the end (laughs) they're all i watch now (laughs) at the end ed harris and nick cage have to like open a slew for people to get out but it can't stay open otherwise they'll all drown and ed harris has to stay behind because only one of them can live so say i help discover it like i want my name to go down history fine nick cage and family are going to go tell people and get help you can at least try and swim back up they weren't that far underground where you couldn't have just like, it's like when your car, if your car's underwater, we've all watched Mythbusters. Once the water level gets to a point where it's equalized, swim up, just wait for help. Yeah. Or at least try. I don't know. He could have survived. No, you're dead. right. You're right. This movie isn't believable now that I'm thinking about it. <laughs> um, all right. How about some quotes? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I think we're done with this Adam, movie. <laughs> Adam, you've heard our podcast before. Did you have a favorite Nick Cage quote for this movie? I did. Um, only because it was it was so ridiculous. It's the scene where he's being held hostage. Ed Harris is not gonna let anybody go until he's gone first. So either everybody drowns or he gets out first, and then for no reason whatsoever, everything just changes. And now Ed Harris has got to hold it open so that nobody can drown. But before all that happens, it's Ben Gates, he's got to he's got to hold this this thing that keeps the wall up so water keeps flowing and doesn't fill up this room. And his parents are freaking out. And he he, he grabs Abigail Chase and he goes, you make my parents leave. You make my parents leave. And it was just awful. I love that because it's just like, I, I wish there was somebody I could keep around my parents' house when I was living with them, uh, obviously, as a teenager but uh and just be like your job is just to make my parents leave <laughs> just make my parents I, leave i really feel like they did I need that now sometimes i, too. I really feel like they did their best to give riley pool kind of just like the goofball quotes and they didn't it's it they're all nick cage all of them yeah well that, that shoehorns into mine <laughs> there's a scene in buckingham palace where they've just come up the dumbwaiter okay it's not mine because and they've gotten out and it's, it's nick cage and uh abigail and um they run into like a florist and he's holding like a jug of flowers and he oh the the flowers have stamens <laughs> <laughs> but he does he does it in nick cage british accent yeah it's it's ridiculous my favorite's after the Oval Office scene. So, like, to distract Ty Burrell's character, uh, Abigail Chase is like, oh, uh, they do this, like, lost earring thing. And so they're looking around for it. And in the end, uh, once Nick Cage has solved the puzzle box of the table and everything, and they've had their makeout scene, and 
uh, Abigail's like, oh, you, you found my earring and this and that. <laughs> and Nick Cage just in the fakest fucking excitement ever goes, Connor rocks. <laughs> but he's just like rolling his eyes and like hating that he has to say it. like oh man connor rocks yeah well also connor's just a bad like he's agent. just a nerd he, he's just the fucking like what art curator for the white house or some shit like that just, my favorite connor quote, rocks my favorite quote is when abigail and ben are having their fight in buckingham palace and ben gets on the banister and like rides down the stairs and gets like ac- gets accosted by security and is talking it's like have you been drinking sir and it's like went down and he's just in the most offensive british accents like went down the pub for a pint and um when they're like starting to rough him up and like really like get off the banister he just goes I'm going to detain a bloke for ha- enjoying his whiskey <laughs> just that up at the end really killed me yeah nice. Beggars and mash. Yeah, Beggars and mash. Starts <laughs> reciting everything kind of British he's ever heard. I have only one fun fact for this film. While filming at Mount Rushmore, uh, a local high school would always have their prom at Mount Rushmore. And because Disney was shooting, they couldn't. So Disney paid for a new venue, paid for door prizes, and gave scholarships to the valedictorians of that year. That's a fun nice disney story when you normally hear about how they're just kind of copyright nazis so speaking of disney movies oh what (laughs) what have you got wait uh, i do want to say one more thing about this film turtle tob directed this who also directed cool runnings three ninjas three ninjas meg and last vegas so uh, let's talk about another disney movie the sorcerer's apprentice directed by john turtle tob who directed cool runnings three ninjas (laughs) the meg and last vegas and phenomenon I don't. I saw that, and I don't know what that movie is. Oh, it's actually kind of good. Yeah, it's very charming. Yeah. Who's in that? John Travolta. As you're gonna say, John Turtletop. Kind of. Who also? <laughs> John uh, who also directed, who directed Cool Runnings, <laughs> Three Ninjas, The Meg, and Last Vegas. And oh. and also and also the actress that was in the movie Michael with John Travolta. <laughs> um. So The Sorcerer's Apprentice, starring Nicolas Cage as Balthazar Blake. Great name. Alfred Molina as Horvath. Also great, a great name. Great cast. Jay Barkel. Bar- Baruchel? How do you pronounce that? Bacchanal. Baruchel, I think, but... It's 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 French-Canadian. As we'll Dave... Dave. David. <laughs> um, Teresa Palmer as Becky, and Toby Kell as Drake Stone. Fuck yeah. I don't know, Nick, do you want to give us a quick run-through of The Sorcerer's Apprentice? Sure. So, way back in the day... Uh, a long, long time ago. Yep, long, long time ago, there were... Three sorcerers apprentices, apprentices, apprenti, apprenti, Merlinians. I mean, one of them is Morganian. No, I mean, Morganians are another. There's two or one that goes to Morganian nature. God damn it. Do you even watch the movies? (laughs) I do. Okay, so I watched them twice. Three apprentices to Merlin called Merlinians. Apprenti. Uh, uh, no, you know, as uh, somebody who's been an apprentice, I'm going to say it's apprentices. As someone who pretends to know things, I'm going to say apprentice. Proceed. Uh, so these. <laughs> no, three... let's keep doing this. This is bugging Peter. <laughs> three apprentices. They uh, have like a falling out. One of them's like, oh, you know what? I want to be evil. And so he goes ahead and joins the Morganians. An even better name. I so didn't think it was possible. What you're saying is I was technically right. No. And <laughs> that's not what I said at all. So then there's a fight over supremacy, Balthazar and his lady love. Fighting Morgana Lefay. Some magic while battling with another evil wizard lady who uh, I don't think she had a name in the movie um, <laughs> definitely wasn't Morgana Le Fay. they trap her in a Russian nesting doll and then that gets put away Merlin dies his beard was terrible uh, it, I mean it was literally the worst beard I've ever seen so Merlin's dying and he's like oh fucking Balthazar take my damn ring and someday you'll meet a kid who's really gonna be good at magic and the ring will identify them and they'll be the prime Merlinian, which is even better than Morganians. Like, we're just nailing it on names now. He dies, takes a shitty beard with him. 
And Balthazar goes on a montage quest of meeting kids that doesn't turn out poorly. I just want to point out it's a montage quest where he wears very reasonable clothing for the time. Uh, yeah. Because when we get to modern range- day, he doesn't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes around, meets a bunch of kids, shows them a dragon toy. Nothing happens. And he fucks off. Then eventually, like in the year 2000, we meet this kid who was sleeping in a bed and there was a dog and they go on a school trip. <laughs> and a Buzz Lightyear uh, oh, alarm yeah. clock. So oh, we know fuck. it's Disney. <clears throat> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to miss that part. Can, uh, can I just add that uh, the scene that Nick is talking about where the kid wakes up a dog and they're going on a school trip. And it's that's kind of like the real intro to the movie. Oh, yeah. This movie. Has- and it's super punctuated by Jimmy World. So he finally gets up. He goes on his school trip. Oh, man, he's on the bus and he's drawn on windows like a shithead. Drawn I- King Kong. How did he get it to line up so perfectly? Jay Baruchel did 9-11. <laughs> there we go. Confirmed. Right, we got the joke. We're done. Don't sue us, Jay Baruchel. Uh, so he goes on this field trip. Young David passes this note to this girl that's like, hey, I think you're pretty cool. Do you think I'm cool? And do you think I'm cool like a boyfriend or a boy? And uh, she's like, they're 10, by the way. Yeah, they're 10. Uh, slyly writes a note or marks on the note and just leaves it on a lamp post for him to come back down and get so he like goes to get it and fucking blows away and like there's a chase scene where he's like it's on a bicycle it's on a dog's foot it blows into the mail slot of a door and he goes in and it's the arcana cabana best name ever (laughs) also shitty kid alert i mean i don't think dave was the shittiest kid also how bad is that teacher because she doesn't like yell at him to stop. He just runs away and 20 minutes later she finds him. Oh yeah, no, nobody noticed or cared that he left. And he ran away like yelling. Yeah. Like, ah, my note. And nobody gave a shit. How am I supposed to know if this other 10-year-old likes me? I'm gonna fret about this for 10 years. Yeah. Hasn't even hit puberty yet. What a waste. Also, somehow my voice is gonna get higher when I get older. <laughs> I identify with that statement. So fuck you, Sean. Are you the Jay Bearshaw of this podcast? <laughs> you mean successful. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you think we could could get Jay Bearshaw on this podcast? No. Do you think we could just get the cast of the Sorcerer's Apprentice on this cast? Possibly. Because I would love to meet Alfred Molina. <laughs> You know what? If we had enough money, we, he would do it. We might be able to get the guy who played Drake Stone. Oh, okay, cool. No, we cannot get... Toby Kebbell gets work. He was the primary uh, evil monkey in uh, Evil uh, Chimp in the second uh, Planet of the Apes. Well, and I saw also he played fucking Doctor Doom. Yeah, in fan That is a weird casting. Toby Kebbell pulls. Huh. So this note goes into the <laughs> Arcana Cabana where... David runs in Such and, you know, he's looking around and eventually he breaks a bunch of shit. Well, he, yeah, he Hold was, on, we're not there yet. Well, he was rubbing up on a lamp and Nicholas Cage pops down. He's like, hey, have you seen my note? And Nicholas Cage was like, we don't do notes here. And then he was like, oh, I blew in here by coincidence. And then it's just like this moment where Nicholas Cage is like a coincidence. How coincidence. Uh, so Nicolas Cage is like, I got to go upstairs and get something. You just chill. And so he busts down with this ring and he's like, check it. Then David's looking at it and it becomes a dragon and it wraps around his finger real weird. And they give you a weird close up of it, just like the tail part getting around his finger. I've been hanging out with you for two hours. How are you this high? I'm not even high. I know. Cause I've been hanging out with you for two hours. No, no, he's, he's right. (laughs) Like. You don't remember this scene? This is what you I get do. This is when I'm rambling. not smoking. As, this is as as the only person sitting at this table that pretty legitimately likes this movie. I'm mad at all of you right now. I oh, love this actually, movie. I mean, yeah, spoilers. Like I, I kind of thought both of these movies I were pretty good. And I really enjoyed this movie. <laughs> skip to the end, Nick. The you can't end? just skip to the end. Morgana Le Fay dies. <laughs> good. Damn, you did it. Okay, so I... You know, I may have told you the ending, but stick with me because I've got some more good stuff. In good. Here. The ring puts itself on David's finger and then Balthazar's like, fuck. So hold on. I've got more things to get you. So he goes away and he's like, don't touch anything. And David's like, OK, so he's not touching anything, but he's fucking with his hand with the ring. 
and like there's a thumping sound and it's like oh fuck what's that and he keeps fucking around and, uh, thump, thump, thump. and then the fucking russian nesting doll bursts out of this hidden compartment in the wall and it's like well that sucks and he's like looking at it and then uh it like splits open and all these roaches come out Ooh, and wait i have a note for this my note says does your note say interrupt the summary of the movie? Yes. My note says <laughs> right, right a pun for uh, Alfred Molina made, made out of roaches. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> you didn't do it, though? No. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Alfred Molina shows up. He's like, oh, where's Balthazar? Nicolas Cage comes back down. There's a scuffle. Uh, it ends up with things being on fire, wizard fights, people getting thrown around, Nicolas Cage and Alfred Molina getting sucked into this urn, which will hold them for 10 years. It's magic. Then David runs away. He gets outside and he's freaking. His classmates are all there in the whole hullabaloo. Uh, jar fell on him and it looked like he peed his pants and everybody made Classic. fun of him for being a pee pants. Awesome. End of movie. Yeah, so this... they. They tease him and whatnot so hard he has to move. This is just good. This is good stuff. It's good content. Uh, bullying children. He throws the nesting doll into the gutter. Yeah. Gets rid of the doll and cries like a wiener. Ten years later, he wakes up. Same dog. Different bed. He is a physics student. He's going to do things. So he like helps out this English class. Meets this chick who happened to be... The chick that he wrote the note for, which he never got to see the answer to. Uh, big blue balls moment for him. It doesn't seem likely, but she lets him tutor her on some stuff, which kind of just turns into dating. And that's pretty unbelievable because, <laughs> I mean, she was pretty attractive in the cast of like, if I had to say who was the most attractive person in the cast of this movie. Alfred Molina. And a close second is Becky Barnes. Did you guys see any of the other things that she was in? She was in a movie with Topher Grace and Dan Fogler and Anna Faris called um, Take Me Home Tonight. Uh, that's a fun That's movie. a good movie. Um, I do so, want to point out, like, when she's introduced, we have 10-year-old Dave, then it cuts to him being 20, and his roommate is a horn dog, and it's just like, you gotta meet chicks. No way, man. Bennett fucking rules. I, I loved his roommate. That, his speech about... The, the, the wolves, gray wolves, the gray yeah. wolves. Yeah, like they're a pack animal. They do these things and they do it because they have to mate. He did it by rhyming the whole time. Then the next scene is like Dave setting up his notes to give this lecture. His notes get blown away when the door opens and there's a uncomfortable. He's picking up his notes and looking up a girl's skirt scene. Yeah. And it just happens to be a girl. He had a crush on a 10 that he's never not had a crush on, which is weird. Have you not heard of incels? <laughs> <laughs> so he teaches Becky like some physics stuff by Tesla coils. And that's cool. Uh, builds this relationship while also training with Balthazar. Oh, wait, I didn't even talk about how like he re <laughs> he, he becomes a sorcerer's apprentice. Yeah. Since it's been 10 years. Oh, that 10 years of the uh, the urn that I mentioned. Uh, Alfred Molina pops out of the urn. Uh, there's a really great moment where he's like, was I first? And then this lady faints and he's like, I was. So he just picks up the urn and like walks to a fucking window and just pitches it out. <laughs> and it's like, that's brilliant. If I was the first person out of an urn and I was like, well, Sean's next. I'd pitch it out the fucking window. You're a dick. We're friends. <laughs> yeah, but it looked really cool when Alfred Molina did it. Give me the minute recap, and then I want to hear what Adam thinks about this movie in general. Agreed. This is the Nick minute. Ready? So Nicolas Cage reunites with David. They start training. David's trying to balance this whole like work love life situation that he's got going on. But it's not going super well. There's a whole scene where he's trying to get ready like in his lab and it's a mess because the dog pees on electrical cords. Dick ass dog. So he does the whole Sorcerer's Apprentice thing from Fantasia, cleans it up. They're like, OK, well, we got to get ready for this fight. David's like, oh, I'm a terrible sorcerer. They go out and they fight all these other like shitty sorcerers. David loses the ring. Uh, Nicolas Cage goes to fight Morgana. Kind of sucks at it. David shows up with Tesla coils strapped to a car, shocks everybody and sexes the world. I didn't say it was going to be a good recap. I had a scene I wanted to ask Adam about. So 
this movie, practical, sick-ass magic fights. What do you think? Like, visually, what do you think of this movie? I I really like this movie. I think it's really fun. I don't think it's really asking a lot of its viewership other than to just be entertained. I thought they did a I thought they did a good job of you're talking about the the Chinatown the, the effects and just the visual the like. visuals. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good. There were some characters and scenes that maybe were questionably racist. But glossing over that, they paid homage to uh, that's a what this podcast of... is about. What what was questionably racist about it? <laughs> paid homage to, and to how like can we excuse it? They paid homage to like a history of wizard stories and magic. They did at certain times a bad job of it. I don't know if anybody remembers, but like in the opening scene when Alfred Molina's killing uh, Merlin, Balthazar shows up to defend him, but he shows up with a sword, and it's kind of like that's that's a weird choice of weapon for a wizard. In that opening <laughs> scene, I thought the big homage to magic stories was how much Alfred Molina looked like a fat budget Professor Snape. <laughs> You're not wrong. <laughs> um, shitty, greasy hair. I super think that this is a great role for Nick Cage's acting style because he can sort of just talk in monotone the whole time and not try that hard. <laughs> and he is a prominent character, but not the hero. I'm a huge fan of the author Christopher Moore. One of the things that I love about his books the protagonist is always a beta male who like just kind of wants to sit in the background. I'm kind of shy and I'm awkward and I have anxiety. So like I identify with that a lot, but those characters always have to be the hero. And in, in this Dave has to be the hero, even though he doesn't want to be. So Balthazar knows that he can't be the hero. So he just gets to be like, Dave, Dave, we're going to learn magic. You should run now, Dave. Dave, we've got a lot of work to do. Dave, put on your shoes. And, old man shoes. And, yeah. It's a great character for Nicolas Cage. I, I just thought this whole movie was cast so well. Writing, fine. It was fun. Visually, I thought it was really fun because certain things, they never give explanation where it's like a sorcerer's best weapon, the plasma bolt. It's a Hadouken. And I play, we love like Street Fighter. Water circle forward punch. He puts on his ring and he's just like putting his hands together being like, I can't do it. And he's like, Plasma Bolt, Dave. Who is this movie for? Adam. Correct. This movie did not do well. This movie starts off as a 10-year-old might learn magic, and that would have been a fine kids movie. But it skips ahead 10 years. He's a 20-year-old. He's got a horny roommate, and it's all about him having never gotten over that crush from year two in school. Yeah, they aged themselves out of their audience, like, immediately. It's weird. Well, but keep in mind, 2010, we were probably on, like, movie five or six of the Harry Potter series. There were those, like, Percy Jackson movies. Like, we... We go through these cycles of like, there's a specific genre that can be really hot right now. And I think- Like step siblings. I, okay. Like that's a genre of movie? Oh, I know what you're the talking about. The adult documentaries I watch. <laughs> I, think, I think in that decade, there were just kind of a lot of like, let's make wizard movies. So it might have just been a generic, hey, this genre is really hot right now. Let's make a movie about this. I mean, sure, we've already got this kind of premise my, from Fantasia. right. right. Well, and like Let's who bases an entire that. film on a vignette from Fantasia? Disney does. I'm thoroughly convinced that at one point in the script writing process, this was a Harry Dresden movie. Solely because Nick Cage spends the entire opening scene where he's going through the centuries of trying to find the prime Merlinian, where he fought countless amounts of wizards and trapped them in the Darkhold. But he's always wearing period accurate clothing until he opens Arcana Cabana and he's wearing a century-old duster, and a magical old hat. And if anyone here has ever read a Harry Dresden book and looked at the cover, you know exactly what I'm talking about, including the uncomfortably described high-fitting tight denim pants. Gotta keep it tight, baby. The rest of his outfit was just as good, though button-up shirt under a vest and then he's got arm warmers like wool arm warmers yeah. on there was definitely a look they were going for to make him look like a wizard i think that they, is undercut by him just looking like a normal dude the costumers just point. kind of got the word eccentric and that was their like whole direction for this so that's that's something i really did enjoy about this movie but like the script was fine costume like they they focused hard on costumes and i really liked uh 
how they focused on the use of mirrors as magic and like how mirrors can kind of fuck you up. How like if if you get thrown inside of a mirror, like you're gonna die. We better get out of this mirror. So I actually thought there was a lot of intentionality behind the type of magic that they were trying to imagine for the viewer. And I really appreciated that. I thought that side of it was not that lazy. Oh, no, the magic fights were awesome. Yeah. Well, yeah. And there were a lot of practical effects, too. Mm -hmm. I mean, they did a really good job of doing that versus just CGI. And part of his costuming was because of that. Because Cage really wanted to do a bunch of hand gestures mm-hmm. for magic where they wanted him to have like magic bracelets or some yeah. shit. Instead, they decided that like, oh, yeah, he's going to do these gestures. Like whoever was the visual designer on this film loved their job. And I'm low key jealous that I can't do that. Yeah. Nick, who was your favorite best boy in grip? Uh, Sean is always my favorite best boy. And grip. Oh, thanks. That award always goes to me. <laughs> To tie this back into cage match real quick, there is a mustache cop scene. Yep. It was a good one, too. It uh, was great. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to put this in bad cop. I'm going to put this in the bad cop camp just because he is actively racist as part of his caricature of being a New York cop. Yeah. Some of them had a little too much sacky. Yeah. He's like, well, sack is actually Japanese there, chief. It's like I was in character. I'm like, your character was racist and uh, it didn't matter. I do like that he turned it around and it was like, I was in character. <laughs> yeah, fuck you, I David. do love Balthazar Blake. Um, speaking of just sorcerers in this, let's talk about Toby Kell's Drake Stone. This man freaked my mind. Chris Angel. So, He's supposed to be Chris Angel. So first time through that movie, the intro to that character was kind of off-putting. But when you sort of get the backstory, the character makes a lot of sense. What is the backstory, Adam? Well, and also promote Magic the Gathering. Uh, yes. <laughs> when the backstory was introduced, after Horvath found him and was like bringing him on to like, you're going to help me with this. And he's like, kind of look at the state of you. What the fuck is wrong with you? And he was like, my master left me at 15. I was alone. What was I supposed to do? Basically saying like, I knew the magic that I knew. I knew the magic that I was taught. I had nowhere else to go. So he turned himself into a quote unquote medium magician. That man knows how to play Wonderwall. But it also it it also made it super believable that he was easily manipulated for any purpose. Sure. Yeah. He was absent of father figures. Presumably he wanted to get back into training as a real sorcerer and not just as like a, a master of cheap tricks on stage. Yeah. He's got things to prove. I do love when he menaces Dave in the college bathroom and does the bully. I'm going to pick you up by your shirt collar. And then just walks away and Dave is still up there just hanging by his shirt collar, even though he's not being held. And he's like, and Dave's like, what is this, high school? Yeah. <laughs> You're a dickhead and I'm here for it. Sometimes little things in these movies kind of get away from me because I'm not sober because you're high so i'm not always at my best when i watch these the first time (laughs) one of my frustrations with this movie is that they do this they do this really wonderful build-up and good backstory of character and and character building and everything and then once horvath starts recruiting they just kind of like move it forward at rapid pace he releases Um, sorcerers from releases but we don't get to feel a lot of like those relationships and then we just move on to this giant fight scene, which is dope, except that's suddenly when the romantic relationship starts to come to fruition at a moment when it absolutely shouldn't. Yeah, the timing wasn't great. And, for the- and also, like, now she believed, like, Dave has been just kind of a weird shithead to her the entire movie because he's like, I can't tell you that I'm a sorcerer in training. So this is not a good time for you to come into my weird basement of Tesla coils and mops. And, and mop. Why are there so many mops down there? So it's <laughs> like 80. Okay, mops. Here's Josie my con- here's- had a concern with this, too. And I'm going to get to it before Sean this time. Uh, it's an abandoned subway terminal or something. Uh, there would be some kind of janitor closet. <laughs> Disney explanation, there's mops there in a janitor's closet. A perfectly reasonable place to find a mop. A, a mop, yes, a mop. I was a little, or I have been a little annoyed by the way it just felt like the writers were like, oh, we better wrap this up. Let's have a big-ass fight scene. And also, let's make the romantic relationships work, so let's just tie this in real quick. I'm literally doing that to you guys right now. <laughs> When Morgana's released and she's using, for the listeners at home, these sorcerers use like vibrations and electricity to create their magic. So she's using like the antenna towers across all the skyscrapers in New York 
to create this like i don't know giant vortex of magic it's science and dave tells becky like you got to get to that top of that building he's like or else we're all gonna die and i'm a sorcerer i'll try and save us but i understand if you don't want to and she's like but if i don't we're all gonna die and then there's just like you just trust him on this to be fair she was just kidnapped by a sorcerer and saw a bunch of magic well that's because we don't have time to go back because He's Peter's a, trying yeah. to make us wrap this up, and because I did not come here to not talk about the final boss, I demand that we talk about the final boss. Uh, so they meet at some park in New York. Uh, Morgana's been released, and she comes out of, and I do not remember the character's name, but she's in Nick Cage's girlfriend's. It's like Veronica. Veronica, or yeah. yeah. She's in Veronica's body. And Nick Cage is there and he like throws a weird pool spell where he can dip in and out of manufactured pools is kind of kind of cool magic. So he's kind of like hiding and he's seen and he does he touches foreheads like nine times and then he sucks Morgana into his own body to release Veronica from that. Then Dave shows up and now he's got to fight Balthazar, who's got a, a Morgana host. And for no reason at all, because like Dave does not want to start firing plasma bolts on Balthazar. Well, he also f- doesn't have his ring, so he can't. He doesn't have magic. For, for no magic. for no reason at all, Morgana just leaves Balthazar's body to fight Dave on his own. When being like occupying Balthazar, like that would have made her harder to defeat. And so, because Dave is the prime Merlinian, um, he's able to cast. Hadoukens. He's able to cast magic that no one's ever seen without his ring, and he defeats her, and it's pretty great. Before before Balthazar takes Morgana out of Veronica, when Veronica is raising the dead of every Merlinian ever, um, that magic is horny. Like, she is in the circle, like, just fucking twerking to, like, summon the dead. The horniest use of magic is actually David when he takes down Morgana because there's all the lightning from the Tesla coils shocking her. And then he's just up there like fucking rapid fire, just fucking busting all over her like plasma bolts. And she's just like taking it. She's like, oh, and then I forgot he matrixed. uh, He matrixed Balthazar back to life. Because he, oh, yeah. he can start I some hearts. I real fucking problems with that. Enough first aid classes, and I've been trained on how to use, like, uh, the little shocky paddles. It's okay. We're not an ed- we're not a first aid podcast. No, we're a conspiracy podcast. Not yet. And sorcerers are real. Yeah. And just the fucking government's been hiding them from us. Mm-hmm. It's page 47. <laughs> uh <laughs> He just fucking goes to town on Balthazar's chest, like just fucking plasma bolt, plasma bolt. Don't fucking die away, plasma, plasma, plasma bolt. I'm gonna fucking save you, plasma bolt. And he doesn't check like his pulse ever. Well, he was already dead. We know that because Veronica's like he's dead. If you're trying to revive somebody with like the little shocky paddles, uh, you're gonna check between shocks. Because if you continue to shock somebody who's alive with all of that, it fucks them up and probably would have killed them. So he's terrible at first aid. What do you, you got? You don't have plasma bolts that could fix everything. You don't know. You're right. Yeah, what's a plasma Ran- bolt do to a body? Also, can we just randomly say- unleashed plasma bolts into <laughs> the fucking circulatory system? It should be said that it was moments before was used to kill the most powerful sorceress yeah. on the right. Just well, I just want to point blasted out, blasted them away. <laughs> yeah. All right, how about quotes, fellas? <laughs> quotes. Adam, what's your quote? No, I got two. I got right. two. Uh, the first, and I, I don't know if this was meant to be like any kind of self awareness or whatever but when he's he brings becky down into his weird dungeon and shows her his tesla coils and he he said and i just thought it was funny because of this podcast i think you better step into my cage yeah yeah nick cage oh and then he i don't remember which character he was talking to but he had said becky's show it's like it's like her thing and it's very early on in the movie, and I just liked that because uh, it makes me believe that this is really all the three of you have. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so I've got one for this one. Nick Cage talking to Dave. He's warning him about Maxim Horvath. He says, I don't know, unless you want him to turn you into a pig that just loves physics. 
<laughs> the first one is so Balthazar is trying to like train Dave to be like, you can't fall in love. It's it's bad because they're going to use it against you. So when Becky shows up to the underground Tesla lab and Dave's just like, hey, let's I'll meet you upstairs. It'll be cool. And uh, this weird sorcerer shows up and he's trying to like, like, I'm your uncle Balthazar. We're supposed to hang out today. And when Balthazar finally gives up the goat and's like, fine, go hang out with your girlfriend. He's just like, I just remembered. I have to go into town and pick up your anti-itch cream. But my other favorite one is when he shocks Balthazar back to life. Balthazar wakes up because Dave's just like, you idiot. Like, you can't die. And Balthazar, like, when he come, wakes up, he's like, I, I had a dream. You were insulting me, Dave. Repeatedly. <laughs> and Dave goes, me? Pretty weird, huh? And Balthazar just goes, no, kind of makes sense. <laughs> I mean, it's not like a, a ripping good quote, but I think it was something that I really enjoyed. And it was nice because I it, I felt like it tied a lot of the jokes up until this point in the movie together in that uh, there's the scene where in the bathroom, Balthazar traps Horvath in the uh, Hungarian mirror trap. And Horvath in, in the fight is like, oh, blah, blah, blah. You're old fashioned, like pretty, pretty antiquated little trick you got going here. So then later in a chase scene, so they do the Hungarian like mirror trick again at another time. But like when they're breaking into Drake's room or his apartment, Nicolas Cage gets all like mesmerized by, you know, stuff like plans and stuff out on Drake's desk. And he like goes walking in and then he like gets kind of stuck in this rug that's turning into like quicksand and he's like falling in and he's just like, <laughs> he just says the peruvian or persian like sinking rug or i think it's the quick persian rug. quick rug yeah yeah and he's just like oh, persian quick rug and he calls me old-fashioned <laughs> i liked it just because it was like oh you know you got that's a callback so at this point you know adam you're a guest what would you pick between these two movies on all accounts i'd pick Sorcerer's Apprentice. I think it's. I think it's the. I think it's a more fun movie. I, it's more fun to watch. It's a better. It's a better movie, and I think it's a better Nicolas Cage role. So hands down for me, that's the one that should move forward. I know that that carries zero weight, but it should move forward. I think National Treasure Two was the better Nick Cage role because he caged out so much more. <laughs> it's down to you, Nick. Uh, no, I. I'm all Sorcerer's Apprentice, and there is also still a cage moment. If you go back to when Dave is making fun of the wizard shoes and he's all like, I don't want to wear your old man shoes. And then it just cuts to Nicolas Cage. who's just like taking it back. And he gives you like this wild eyed like, what? <laughs> yeah, it was good. I think it was a great role. No, I think, I think it was a, a great Nicolas Cage role. I would like to say face here and say I love both of these films. I just enjoyed the more unhinged nature of National Treasure 2 a bit more because nobody cared for this for that movie. I think Sorcerer's Apprentice is just the more complete, better movie. I it's... will agree with that only because it didn't get a sequel. Well, the script is also just better. Primerlinian. Well, yeah, okay. <laughs> they chose shitty words, but it's a tighter script. I agree. Like, I loved both of these films so much. I watched both of them multiple times and I will continue to because they're hilarious. There was more ooh, 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 in yeah, Book I of think Secrets. That came across more as a lack of quality script. Which I mean we're not here to talk about quality scripts because if we were uh, I mean we talk about the quality of the script every episode. Doesn't necessarily Arm determine what's better. <laughs> Army, Army, of, Army of One has gone forward as opposed to adaptation. So if we're talking about if we're it's if, a quality movie. If our argument is quality of script, then it like, is a quality of script. <laughs> I love this. Yeah, we've, we've it's all obviously agreed. Sorcerer's Apprentice. It's Sorcerer's Apprentice. This might be the only part of this that isn't cut of mine. But thanks for having me on, everyone. Thank you for thank you for coming, Adam. This was a lot of fun. We thanks really enjoyed here. it, Adam. <laughs> So next episode, we've got Red Rock West and Dying of the Light. Does Red Rock West star Barbara Walters? Barbara <laughs> Walters? Red Rock West. Red Rock West? Barbara Walters? Is she alive? My brain went to Barbara Streisand and he kept going, what? And I'm like, what's he talking about? <laughs> That's a weird Barbara Streisand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs>
it's a weird feature about the nose. She can't pronounce R's. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. Is Barbara Walters alive and well? Is the first thing that came up on Google. Is the answer no? <laughs> One day ago. You're good at Google. This is bad <laughs> Googling, Sean. I should have just it's talked Barbara Walters. It's bad Googling. It's bad Dead podcasting. Dead or alive. 93 years old. She's alive. Okay, great. So, Barbara Walters, when you listen to this episode, please rate, review, subscribe. We need it. Thank hey, you. Toss some dirt down in the comments. So, you know, it only took like five weeks, speaking, but... uh. Finally, somebody won that bet as to who takes their clothes off first. Hey, it was yeah. you. It which was I always think... me. Everyone shut up for a second. I have to open a sparkle buddy. <laughs> There's your outro sting, Peter. <laughs> yeah.